0: Reading from the Gospel of Matthew six twenty-five through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more than clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's be reminded that this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, (coughs) it's great to be with you. I do see it. Just real quick, I see some folks that if you're standing, there are some seats available here in the front. I know you hate to walk up during the middle of the sermon, but what do you hate more? Standing for an hour? So, but anyway, you're definitely welcome. Um, Paige and I uh, found out that we were having a child in... Not right now. Not right now. Not right now. First found out. That we were having a child in December of 2010, actually, and uh, I know you know you're not you're not supposed to tell anybody at first, but I, if you know me, I couldn't help it, right? I, and so I just started telling people about this baby that was coming, and uh, but we went in, you know, for our first little ultrasound, and it was actually the 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 lady that was doing it was a lady named Carrie Dewberry who we didn't know I didn't know at the time at all but now her, her husband's actually a really good friend of mine anyway we go in for the ultrasound and she's uh, she's doing it there and uh, and we heard the news that I know a lot of you have heard um, and it was that we had had lost that little baby and um, I was so overcome in that moment I had no idea how I'd respond. But I was so overcome in that moment that I literally grabbed the trash can and threw up right there in front of the doctor, in front of everybody. And um, such began my journey with parenting. (laughs) Um, You know, we've been talking about parenting these past few weeks, and we come to this passage today that maybe more than any other I need as a parent because parenting is overwhelming. It is anxiety breeding. It will make you fearful like nothing else. I, I really am not afraid of many things, but with, when it comes to my kids, like after that appointment, every ultrasound, I was just terrified. Well, what are they gonna tell me? What, what's gonna happen? You know, and then the child's actually born. It gets even scarier. You know, I, some of y'all have heard me talk about this before, but the first night, Emrianna was there, and God has, you know, obviously graciously given us three children. We had three great pregnancies after that. Paige may not say they were great, but uh, they were healthy children that came out. But anyway, uh, you know, Emrianna, that first night she's there, and uh, golly, I mean, you know, every time she would cough, you know, every time she'd do anything, we're like, is she okay? Is she okay? Paige would be like, do the finger swipe, do the finger swipe, you know? And I'm just thinking like, man, I can't keep, I'm not going to be able to keep this child alive for 18 years or however long I'm supposed to <laughs> and until they could live on their own, you know? It's just an over, overwhelming experience. And, you know, I think a lot of parents um, kind of parent from a perspective of fear, Um, you know, this has been a year where I've had, I have talked about fear with people more than any other year that I can remember, right? I mean, how many of your conversations this year have involved fear of some point? Afraid I'll get sick. Here's a big one, I'm afraid I may get someone else sick. I'm afraid that I may lose my job. I'm afraid that I may lose all my money. I'm afraid because of all the unrest that is in our city. You know, and and, and as a parent, again, the fears get heightened. You know, I'm afraid my child may get sick. I'm afraid, you know, and then especially with just everything, the election cycle, people get afraid. Of what's going the future going to be like? What are we teaching our children? If, if you're like me and your kids are doing virtual learning, that is a terrifying thing, right? I mean, how, you know, am I teaching my children anything? Are they going to get into college? Are they going to hate school? Are they going to hate me? All these thoughts run to your head. And so, I think we need to hear this, parents or no parent, or not yet a parent, or you know, maybe past your parenting days, this, this passage begins in this beautiful way, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Now, you might hear that and you say, okay, <laughs> I've kind of heard that before, right? I, you know, people say stuff like, don't be anxious or stay safe, right? You know, hey, hey stay safe. It's like, okay, well, I don't, what am I going to do? I mean, I, How am I going to do that? You know, or you know, people say it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Okay, and and people mean well when they say these things. But this this passage actually gives us an exhortation like that. Don't be anxious. And then it kind of backs it up. There's something to this passage, And, and it really does two things that I wanna talk about, and and I'm not gonna talk about them in order as we normally do. I kinda just wanna talk about them collectively. But this passage, and this is just a great one to continue to meditate on. First of all, it reminds us of the character of God toward his people. It reminds us of the character of God toward his people. And then the second thing it does, and I love this, it actually teaches you how to overcome anxiety. It actually teaches you how to overcome anxiety. Now, again, I, I'm not going to talk about these in order. I kind of just want to talk about them together. One of the kind of images that you see throughout the Bible, and if you're kind of new to Bible study, you need to pay attention. got too close. Sorry. Sorry, Brandon. Uh, you need to pay attention to this image, and it's the image of a king and a kingdom. You, you see it all throughout the Bible, but you, you, you see it a lot in the book of Matthew, The book of Matthew, over 30 times, uses this imagery. It talks about the king and the kingdom, this idea of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And of course, we see it here in this passage, the kingdom of God, seek the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people have asked the question, there's actually been a debate in scholarship, what is the kingdom of God? What does does the Bible mean when it talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? Is it something out there? There's a lot of times the kingdom of God has this kind of out there feel about it, right? Seek the kingdom of God that's, that's to come. This passage kind of feels like that, right? Seek the kingdom, right? Don't, don't so much worry about today. Seek the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God to come. Seek heaven. Store up for yourself treasures in the kingdom, right? This kind of out there idea. But also in the book of Matthew, you see a very present kingdom, Jesus says in Matthew 3, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is among you or you're close to the kingdom of heaven. So, so, so what is it? How, how do we understand the kingdom of God? Is it, is it heaven? Is it something that's coming? Is it something that we should consider or understand as being present now? Here's the best way to understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, The kingdom of heaven, when you see this in scripture, what it's talking about is the reign of God, the reign of Christ, the reign of Christ. That's that's what you're to read into this, where Jesus has authority and where his authority is known. One day, the reign of Christ will be fully known in the entire cosmos. There will not be a part of any creation, of any part of creation, of any part of the universe where the reign of Christ is not fully known. Jesus will reign. His reign will be known. He will be exalted. He will be Lord over all. The effect of his kingdom will be known everywhere. But here's the deal, Jesus has come. And so seeking the kingdom now means seeking the reign of Christ now. It is seeking, when when the Bible says seek the kingdom of God, it's saying seek the reign of Jesus now, that Jesus now would rule in your heart now the way he will one day rule over the entire cosmos have you found the kingdom of God, right? Is Jesus reigning in your life now the way that he will one day reign throughout everything? That's that's what this means. That's what this idea is. Now, I think a great way to understand what it looks like now is actually to look forward, right? So, we, we all understand looking forward, right? I am looking forward to 2021. I mean, aren't you looking forward to 2021? I've said that so many times, man, I just can't wait till next year when everything's normal, right? When hopefully the virus is kind of going away and the election is over, I'm looking forward to next year. Well, that same kind of hope, much more hope, we see in the, this idea of the kingdom of God. I am looking forward to the reign of Christ When all things are made new, the Bible says that, that Jesus will make all things new. Now, there's two words for new. You understand the two words for new? There's two words in the Greek. One is chronos, and that's new in terms of time. Like, this is new. Like, this just got here. It's brand new. It hasn't been around very long. But the other, and this is the one that when the Bible tells us that Jesus will make all things new, this is the new that it's saying. The other is kainos. Jesus is going to make all things kainos, And I think the best way to understand the idea of kainos is it's renewed. It's made better. It's new in terms of quality. It's, it's, it's as it's supposed to be. It's even better than it's supposed to be. It's been renewed. It's been made right. Jesus is going to renew the entire cosmos. He's going to make all things as they should be. We will function. We will be Everything in creation will be ordered as it is supposed to be. It'll be renewed. It'll be made right. Imagine a world with no disease, right? That's what a renewed kingdom is going to be like. Imagine a world where there's no divisions between people. Imagine a world where people are reasonable when they have conversations with one one another. Imagine a, a world where there's no anger or hatred, Right? Imagine a world where everyone is treated without, um, with, with dignity and with honor. Imagine a world where there's no depression or sadness. That's what Jesus is going to do in his coming kingdom. He's going to make all things right. This is the reign of Christ. But because Christians are the kind of people that are so looking forward to this reign of Christ. We're the kind of people where Jesus is already reigning in our hearts now. We have, we live our lives, if you will, as people who are borrowing from a future kingdom. You ever know somebody that like moved to America from a different country and they bring something great with them? I was thinking about this this week. I've got a buddy, his family's from Italy, he makes the best meat sauce. I mean, the best. Some of us have had the meat sauce. He made it. this meat sauce, or me and some of my buddies one night. We all got the recipe. We've all used it. It's so good. It's, he, he borrowed this meat sauce from his old country, if you will. He's brought it to his new country. He's brought it to America. He took something from his old country, he brought it to his new country, and now we're all benefiting from the delicious meat sauce. But Christians do the same thing, only we borrow from a future country, right? A lot of people borrow from their old country, but Christians are the kind of people that have the capacity to borrow from the country that we're looking ahead to. And we bring what we find there here now. So Christians have kind of been the people that start hospitals. Why? because we believe in a kingdom where there's no disease, where there's no pain and suffering from disease. Now, there of course is disease in this kingdom, but we're gonna do whatever we can to mitigate it here. We're we're borrowing from the kingdom to bring the kingdom to this present kingdom. Christians are the kind of people that have started schools. Why? Because we want to empower people. We want to educate people. We want people to know God. We want people to reach their full potential. Why? Because that's what the kingdom's going to be like. We're borrowing from that kingdom, and we're bringing it to this kingdom. Christians are the people, the kind of people that have started orphanages and children's homes and have done foster care and adoption. Why are Christians those kind of people? Well, because we believe in a people, in, in a kingdom where no one will be betrayed, where no one will be abandoned, where no one will have the heartache of being left alone, where no one will be lonely. And so we're borrowing from that kingdom and saying, how can we bring a little piece of home here? That's who Christians are. That's, that's what the reign of Christ looks like. So the question for us today, and I know I spent a long time on this, but I just wanted you to get this idea. It's a foundational idea. It's, it, it'll apply to So many more sermons, not just this one. But for today, what does the reign of Christ look like in parenting? What does seeking the kingdom look like in parenting? And I think simply, (laughs) it's to ask this question, is Jesus reigning in our home now the way that he will one day reign in the entire cosmos? Is the reign of Christ... As a parent, can you taste the reign of Christ in the same kind of way that you'll be able to taste it in the coming ages when Jesus is reigning over all? But I wanna look at three things with you that I think seeking the kingdom looks f- like for us. Um, the first is, when you, as you seek the kingdom as parents, as you seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ to be central in your home, You have to understand ownership. And I'm sure you guys, I need to hear this just as much as I think you need to hear this. We have to understand ownership. You ever have something that somebody else owned that they gave you access to that you really loved? When I moved to Covington, when I first moved to Covington, uh, Lee Durden was a guy there. He had this little farm. It was kind of like a cabin with a pond and he would let me go out there and there was great fishing and it was this really cool cabin in the middle of the woods. And I would go out there, and he just gave me the key. I'd go out there and use it whenever I wanted to. In fact, true confession, it was where I first kissed Paige. <laughs> I know, I know. Pretty smooth. <sighs> and then, so I would go out there all the time. I loved this little cabin. And then Lee tells me he's gonna sell the cabin. And I was thinking, Lee, you can't sell the cabin. Almost as if it was my cabin. I was like, don't, don't you realize there's other people impacted by this? I was approaching, I, I'd fallen in love, so much in love with that place. He had just given me a stewardship of it, but I was treating it as if it was mine. I want you to parents, your kids are not yours. They're ultimately God's. And you just have the stewardship to care for them and nurture them and raise them up in the way of the Lord but they're not ultimately yours. Paul Tripp, in his book on parenting, which is really, really helpful, he says, owner parents tend to look to get their identity, meaning, purpose, and inner sense of well-being from their children. Their children tend to be saddled with the unbearable burden of their parents' sense of self-worth. I talked about this last week. I want to give you, this is a good warning, parents, particularly Christian parents, you you will be tempted to find your identity in your children. You'll you'll be tempted to treat them as if there's something that you did that you get credit for. And again, as Paul Tripp says, if you do this, you will end up crushing them. You can't love them. You can't really love an idol because you you need the idol to give you a sense of identity and worth. If, if your kids become an idol to them, you will, you will strap them with expectations. And here's the deal. You'll strap them with expectations and you'll blame them. You'll blame God. <laughs> You'll blame God as if they're his expectations for them when so many of these expectations have nothing to do with God's word or with serving the Lord. They're all about your kids fulfilling your dream for them so that they will reflect something of you so that you will be worth something. And if that's where you're at, you're not parenting the way God wants you to. You you can't really love your kids. You can't really lead your kids to love God. Paul Tripp goes on to say, parenting is a miserable place to look for your identity. <laughs> it is, if for no other reason than the fact that every parent parents sinners. Children come into the world with significant brokenness inside of them that causes them to push against the authority, wisdom, and guidance of their parents. Parents who are looking to their children for identity tend to take their children's failures personally and if they were done against them intentionally and respond to their children with personal hurt and anger. But the reality is that God simply does not give you children in order for you to feel like your life is worthwhile. You aren't an owner. You're a steward. God has entrusted these children to you for for their for uh, has entrusted to you with care to care for them, but but they they they're his, and if you are his, and if you understand that they are his, then you can actually love them without needing something back from them. See, and this gets to the next point. The next thing you have to understand, as you seek the kingdom of God in your parenting, is that you're also called, and this is so important. And Lou Priolo talks a lot about this. You are also called, I am called to be a model. Paul Tripp says the word, I like it, ambassador. You are an ambassador for God in your home, right? If you are Christ, if you have your identity in Christ, if you're trying to lead your child to know the Lord, to know Christ, you are an ambassador for these things. Paul Tripp says this, ambassador parents are parents who approach parenting as representatives and come to it with a deep sense of identity and are motivated by meaning and purpose. They don't need to get that from their children because they have gotten it from the one who they represent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, they're freed from coming to their children, hoping that they will get from them what no child is able to give. No, they're freed from asking family life to give them life because they have found life. And their hearts are at rest. Because of this, they are now free to forget themselves and parent with selflessness and sacrifice that ambassadorial parenting requires. Do you see this? Do you realize this? Do you realize that God's called you to be an ambassador for your child, to represent him? And so much of what your children understand, they will understand in you. You know, dads, this is so true. I mean, the way that your child will understand what a father is primarily is by observing and knowing you. And that'll frame the way they look at God for the rest of their life. Either They'll either understand God as someone who is like you or someone who is not like you. Even your marriages model something for your children. You know, we talk about this. For those of you all who I've done premarital counseling with or, or I've married, we talk about this. This is Ephesians 5. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that your marriage, this husband and wife relationship, is a mystery that refers to Christ and the church. The Greek mysterion, which is the Greek for mystery, it's probably better understood as signpost. It's Marriage is a signpost. It's, it's a directional way. It's pointing you toward The gospel, your marriages before your children are to be little gospel dramas that your children see and observe. And so we have the instructions in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord for just as Christ is the head of the church, so too the husband is the head of the wife. So just as the church submits to Christ, so the wife should submit to your husband. These aren't just good principles for marriage, see. What God is calling you to in this is to model gospel living before your children. I always say this to husbands you know, husbands, here's your test. How do you know if you're modeling the gospel before your children? Well, one day, a child should be able to go to your wife and say, Mommy, how much does Jesus love me? And if you've been modeling, what God has called you to model, if you've been ambassador for Jesus as God has called you to in your marriage, then your wife should be able to say on that day, sweetheart, you know how much your dad loves me? That's how much Jesus loves you. And for the child to be able to say, wow, Jesus loves me that much? That's amazing. I never thought I could be loved like that by God. And in the same way, wives, you're called to model. This is a model. You're called to be ambassadors for your children. And this is in everything that you do the way you talk to your children, the way you discipline your children, the way you communicate to your children. Here's a good question Are you talking to your children as Christians? Here's what I mean by that. You know, I want my children to behave, I want my children to behave. But I can't say to my children, here's what I can't say. I can't say to my kids, behave or be perfect because you know what, I'm not perfect. <laughs> in so many ways, I'm, f- I'm failing them as a model. Now I want them to see good things in me. I want them to see me at my best, but I want you to hear this. I actually also want my kids to see me at my worst. My kids need to see me at my worst. And here's the deal. I don't have the discipline to always be at my best, right? You know, some of y'all grew up in houses where your parents never argued in front of you. I, I think that's probably not healthy, A, but I also just don't even have the discipline to pull that off, right? <laughs> so I'm not even going to try for that one. But no, I actually need my kids to see me I want my kids to see me when I do something that's really good. I want, I, they need to see that. I want them to see faithfulness and consistency and courage and honor and wisdom in me. Yes, yes, yes. I, they have to see that in me. I, that's, that's what God's calling me to. But I, they also need to see me when I'm really messed up. And they need to see how I respond to that. You know, I think y'all know that we all got the coronavirus, the whole Dees family. We're all well now, in case you're a visitor. In fact, I got the antibodies test. I've got both types. So I know, I know. So anyway, um, I'm good to go. So we, we, we were like, well, we've all had the coronavirus. We've got the antibodies. Let's live it up, you know? And so we, last week, we went to Whitewater, and, um, <laughs> which I love Whitewater, okay? I don't know if you got any other Whitewater fans here, but we hadn't been. I was really excited to go. So you know we always start our day at Whitewater up in the like the, the kind of the far right slides. We had done that for a little while, and the boys were done. And Imran wanted to do one more slide, and uh, I was like, "Well, we're going to go to the Bahama Bob slide and wait in line." As you know, there's always a long line there. And so <laughs> I, I said to Paige, "I said, hey, the boys and I are going to go to the Bahama Bob slide. When Emrianna gets down from the slide, you come with her, okay? And then we'll be in line and we'll go." And Paige says, where's the Bahama Bob slide? So I was a little disappointed. And I said, well, you know, it's right over here. I was like, it's, it's kind of right at the base of Dragon's Tail, which is the greatest water slide of all time. And she says, where's Dragon's Tail? Okay. So frustration's kind of building a little <laughs> bit. I was like, it's right over here. I was like, look, we're going to get in the line. You come. And then Paige says, well, what if Bahama Bob slide's closed? And I said, well, if it's closed, we'll just come back. So... Me and the boys go. We're standing in line. Paige is not coming. Emory is not coming. I'm thinking, oh, man, did she not hear the plan? (laughs) Does she not know what we're doing here? And so we're getting right to the front of the line. Finally, you know, I was like, look, we're we're about to have to go. So I said, boys, y'all stay here. So I left my six and four-year-old, and I said, (laughs) I ran back over, and Paige was there waiting. The last thing she heard me said is, we'll come back. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, that was only if the ride was closed. And so I got so frustrated with Paige for not going along with my water slide (laughs) plan. It would have saved us so much time. (laughs) And my kids saw me get upset with her. And so on the drive home, I had a chance to say, you know what guys, today with your mom, I was unkind and I was not gracious and I was impatient and I really failed her. But you know what, it reminds me of Jesus who is always kind and who's always gracious and who is so patient and he puts up with a guy like me (laughs) who's unkind and impatient and not gracious. Man, I need Jesus. I I want them to see me at my worst because I want them to realize that their dad is a Christian. I'm not saved by righteousness, I'm saved by faith. And their only hope of salvation is by faith in Jesus. What are you modeling to your children? Are are they seeing the reign of Christ in your home? But the last thing, seek the reign of Christ in the order of your home. Is your home ordered around the kingdom of Christ? As I said before, Is this reigning in your home now the way he will one day reign in the entire cosmos? Is your home ordered around the reign of Christ? If your home is not ordered around the Lord and his word and the gospel, then then he is not reigning in your home. Is your home ordered around his people, right? Is that what your kids see in him? I seeing see you. You know, I, I've said this before. I, I so want the kids of Christ's covenant to fall in love with the Lord and with his church. They're a part of us. They're a part of us. Yes, I want them to have an amazing experience in Covenant Kids, I want them to have an amazing experience with our student ministry and at camps and all these things. But I don't just want to give them experiences as if it's some sort of product that they're consuming. I want to invite our children to be a part of a people. Are we showing that to our kids? That that they're actually a part of a people, a people of God that he's calling together, that he's gifted and empowered, and that includes them. They're not just consumers of us. We actually need them here, right? We need the gifts that God has entrusted to them. We need them to be disciple makers. We need them to be servants. We need them to be a part of this body. Is your home, you know, I'd ask ourselves as a church, is our church ordered around the reign of Christ? And is your home ordered around the reign of Christ? You know, we understand our role as parents in preparation, right? We know that we're preparing our children to be a husband someday, or to be a wife, or to get a job, or to to go to college, or whatever we're preparing them for. But are we really preparing them? I want you to say, are you really preparing them to stand before God someday? Are you really preparing them to live a life that pleases the Lord. Is that what you're preparing them for? Is that what you're urging them for? Pushing them for? You know, are, are, are you? Do they really believe that the greatest thing that I could do with my life is to live it for the glory of God? Or do they believe the greatest thing that I could do with my life is to do a little bit better financially than my parents? the greatest thing that I could do with my life is that Jesus would be known in me and through me? Or is it the greatest thing that I could do in my life is, you know, letter in a couple of sports and be on the debate team? What is honored? What is, what is central? What is reigning in your home? You know, there's so much more I want to say. Gosh, there's so much more I want to say. Was what you could say about parenting which is one of the reasons that we've got all these other things and i just want to encourage you to we've got the sermon talk back where we've had a, we had a great conversation this week the group's curriculum which has been so so good who's who's participated in the group's curriculum i hope you've enjoyed it. in fact the conversation that's coming out this week with jennifer mcclish and lou is fantastic and so and, and, and then another little thing the daily rhythms We've been going through parenting types of verses in there. They're really, really helpful. I wanna encourage you toward all of that. But I wanna close with this. Is fear framing you as a parent or is the reign of God? Right? I just wanna close with that question. Is, Is the decisions that you're making as a parent being more framed by fear, what you're anxious about as a parent, Or or is it more framed by the kingdom of God? This is how you overcome the anxiety of parenting. And believe me, I get it. They are huge. But this is the antidote. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, God is going to take care of all these things. Seek the kingdom of God. Now, I know as parents, as Americans rather, you start talking about a king, we get a little antsy, right? We're not kind of people, we're democracy people, we believe in a government of the people. Last time there was a king in America, didn't work out so well, right? Well, the reason that I think we get ants here on kings is because normally we don't know about any good kings, normally kings are really bad. Most kings are the kind of people that make their subjects poor, they tax them, so that they can be rich, but I want you to hear this. Jesus is the kind of king that has made himself poor. He he went from heaven, the throne of God, and came down and made himself nothing so that we could be rich. Most kings are the kind of people that stay at home and send their subjects off to war so that they can be safe. I want you to hear this. Jesus is the kind of king that went and fought our greatest battle, the battle against sin and death and won it so that we could be safe. Most kings are the kind of people that only hang out with really important people. Jesus is the kind of king that most identifies with the least of these. Most kings out there would never have anything to do with children. But Jesus is the kind of king that goes to children and says, actually, he says, unless you become like a child, you can't even enter into my kingdom. Most kings are the kind of people that you have to present yourself in the best possible way to have any audience with them. But Jesus is the kind of king that actually is most profound and most close to you when you are at your very worst. And I just want you to know if there's such a king and there's such a kingdom where all things can be new, I want that king. I wanna be a part of that kingdom. And look, the invitation to you is seek his kingdom. He is seeking you. He's come to save you. He's given his life for you. And if you trust him and if you look to him, if you give him the reign of your life, then you can be a part of his kingdom forever. Once you look to him today, once you find yourself in him today, quit finding yourself in all of these smaller identities like parenting or work or whatever else it is. Find yourself in Christ. There is such a king. You know, there was a whole other point that I was supposed to get to. This passage is about the character of God and I'm really not gonna get to it, but let me just say this one thing. The rest of this passage, actually the longest part of this passage basically says this, Jesus cares about the birds and he feeds them, takes care of all their needs. Jesus cares about the grass, (laughs) and he clothes the grass. If Jesus cares about birds and grass, how much more does he care about his people? How much more does he care about the people that he died for? How much more does he care about the people that are part of his eternal kingdom, seek his kingdom. Don't be ruled by anxiety. Seek his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we, as we close that you would turn our hearts away from small things and toward Christ, that you would well up in our hearts a love for Jesus, a love for his kingdom Father, we're not perfect. We're not even close. Inside of all of our children, as Paul Tripp said, there is is brokenness, but inside of all of us, there's brokenness. But Lord, you have sent your son, Jesus, to make us new, to kynos us, to renew us. And so Lord, I just pray that by your power and by your grace, as we seek your kingdom, that you would make us new even now. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. For his sake, amen. As we close, we're gonna sing, we're gonna respond to this. And there's a lot of different ways that you can respond, but one might be this. One might be that you just would like to come and just have a word or a prayer with me or with one of our pastors. And if so, I'll be standing just in the back. You can kind of slip out of your uh, seat and find me. Everybody will be standing. There's a lot of other ways to respond to. We'll talk about some of those later. Uh, but please come and find me if you, if you like. Uh, but for all of us, let's stand and sing as Jordan leads. My worth is not in what I own,
0: not in
1: the strength of flesh. But in the costly wounds of love